0: Please rise. Court is now in session. Love, strength, Fighting for justice is the podcast. Fight spell spelled with a P-A. Serving Philly in the counties and the tri-states. We can change people's minds, yeah, we don't see hey If you ever want to question law, yeah, let's debate.
1: Welcome back, guys. We're live to another episode of Fighting for Justice. You have Dave and JJ here.
0: Hey, 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 what's up?
1: And today we have a special guest. I'll throw the mic to you. Please introduce our guest.
0: Well, we have... Forensic psychologist Dr. Dawn Sheehan, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So, Dr. Sheehan, can you tell us tell us about your tell us about your background? Tell us where did you go to school.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I am a forensic psychologist. I have a doctorate degree in clinical and forensic psychology. I went to school in Miami. I practiced in South Florida for about twenty years, if not a little bit more, before relocating up here to Pennsylvania in 2017. I uh, began practicing here in Pennsylvania, and I continue to be licensed in both Florida and Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. So just from the basics, right, what what exactly is a forensic psychologist? What does that even mean? It's a really good
2: question. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many people ask me that question, and then they'll say, do you speak to dead people? <laughs> And I kindly say no, I don't speak to dead people, (laughs) right? And then the next thing, the next most popular thing that people assume a forensic psychologist is, they say, "Oh, are you a are you a profiler for you know serial?"
0: Oh, oh, okay, okay, Okay. or something. And I
2: say no, that's not what I do either. Um, There are people that do that. They're unicorns (laughs) and they generally go to quantico and go to the fbi training um so that's not generally speaking it's not what forensic psychologists do either understand um so forensic psychologists are uh are psychologists that are specially trained and have experience and qualifications and competence in dealing with cases that are involved in the legal system those cases can range anywhere from criminal cases family law cases civil cases um and pretty much, lots of things in between.
0: Okay, so essentially, y- you are a specialist to help kind of bridge anything in the legal world. Is that
2: correct? Yeah. So uh, another term that that we use in the industry, we use psycholegal, right? So sure. So it's a it's a psycholegal uh, space. You know, for not just psychologists, but some you know other mental health providers as well. So uh, generally speaking, you're finding some kind of nexus between, uh, you know, the psychology or the mental health industry and the legal industry.
1: Okay. And, you know, just to kind of spell it out for our viewers, I mean, generally speaking, uh, you know, in your field for what you do, you would be contacted, I mean, specifically by someone like us, right? Like private attorneys who may be working on a certain criminal case where they need your services or maybe family law, you know, like a custody where they would need your services.
2: Correct. It does work differently depending on where you are. So it works very differently here in Pennsylvania than it did in in Florida, Mm -hmm. where I practiced for a long time. Um, In Florida, they tend to the court tends to coordinate all of that. So the court administration office will have a list of their qualified experts. There's very specific um, qualifications that experts need to possess in order to be put on uh, lists Sure, the evaluation, sure, sure. the evaluators right. list. Mm-hmm. And then the court itself will assign cases uh, to uh, to different evaluators. Sure. And, and they'll just kind of rotate through the list. Here in, uh, I'll, I'll at least, you know, talk about the kind of like tri-county area in Pennsylvania, meaning uh, Philadelphia, Montgomery, Chester County, that kind of area that we deal with. It works a little bit differently where the courts are not appointing experts. Sure. It's usually the attorney's. Sure. It's usually the attorneys that are um, reaching out or they're agreeing with one another about what, you know, what expert they want to use. Sure. Uh, uh, sometimes the the parties themselves might reach out.
0: OK. So back to so you go to school in Miami, you practice in Miami. What was that like?
2: That was interesting. So I practiced in um, the Miami area. I went to school in Miami. My uh, the, the, the lion's share of where I practiced was in Palm Beach County. Okay. So I had a large forensic practice in Palm Beach County. Um, and there I did uh, probably the lion's share of what I did was either criminal work or um, dependency work, dependency court work, sure. or family law. Uh, some other civil
1: as okay. well. Okay. So you're in sunny Miami. How'd you get up to Pennsylvania? Right, That's a good question.
2: <laughs> One I continuously ask my husband: how did, we, how did we end up here? Like today? It's it's spring and it's not even fifty degrees. Exactly. Of course. Um, so we we had decided uh, after having our our son that we were going to move back up to the Northeast. I was I was born and raised in in New York uh,
0: okay.
2: outside of this is probably about 45 minutes outside of the city okay and he was uh he was raised here in pennsylvania towards the harrisburg area mm-hmm. okay and um all of our family was up here we we didn't have much family in florida and um you know we just wanted to kind of head back up and sure. be around family and i did chat you know i do i did miss the season <laughs> sure and, sure Mm. Glad to have that. Just wish it <laughs> didn't last as long. <laughs> I,
1: I know JJ's uh, dreaming about getting to Florida as soon as possible. So mm. yes. <laughs> he he doesn't. He'll never miss the uh, season changes for sure. Nah, I'm <laughs>
0: right. over the cold. Like I'm over it. I have done my time. Like Page dues. Yes, yep. I paid my dues. Mm-hmm. So
1: I joke about it. I don't mind it anymore because at least in this area, I, I don't think it even gets cold anymore. Like it didn't snow this year. Twenty for me it is not cold. So I, I should. I know it might be. I know it's freezing. For yes, day. yes. So it doesn't bother me, but uh, I I wouldn't mind Florida. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so anyway, let's let's just, let's stay on rails here. Um, all right. So you come to PA and you're working as an expert in PA, and actually that was kind of how we found you. How I found you a couple of years ago working at our last law firm. Correct. Um, you, I actually... you were one of the
2: first cases that I, I, it was probably back in 2017 or so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I yeah. I really didn't intend <clears throat> to, uh, to, to do as much forensic work as, as I'm doing now. When I came up here, I just kind of want to have that small boutique, you know, private sure. practice where I saw, you know, my yeah. handful of private patients and, um, and I still, I've always done that and still do that to some degree. Uh, and then forensics, Kind of found me, like JJ.
0: (laughs) Listen, I was searching. I was searching for anybody, and it was so weird because the case that I had was a child pornography case, but it involved a child. So it was a 17-year-old who was looking for other people of his age, but because legally he was a child, when he was finding people his age, he was getting child pornography. But he was downloading it, you know, by the hundreds, as most people do. So when he gets caught, you know, he's charged with child pornography. So I know that what I need is to get this kid help, right? Somebody to talk to, a therapist, Uh somebody, because that is what every judge is going to order. Like 100% of the time, Correct. Mm -hmm. it's coming. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to do is to get ahead of the game, Right. So I am looking, and I must have called about ten different experts. Absolutely, I remember, who all told me, "No, I'm sorry, I don't help people who are charged with child pornography." And I'm like, first, he's a kid. Like, <laughs> I understand the the rage that just comes from you know people hearing those words put together, child and pornography, but can you talk to me?" It, it was. It blew my mind how many professionals weren't even willing to hear the story before they kind of jumped to a conclusion. And by the time I got to you, I was just kind of like, you know what, just go ahead and tell me that you can't help me so I can say I called everybody on the list. Yep. And you were like, oh, no, I, you know, I, I take those. I'll talk. I'll, I, and you, you worked through and you helped me. Unfortunately, you know, that's the end of the day. I think it helped. Um, and that was kind of how me finding you just, it blew my mind to that. I had to work so hard to find an open-minded professional. Yeah, Can you talk to kind of, do you think that there is a stigma in your, in your profession amongst your colleagues?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So, so the, I, I remember the case <clears throat> very, very well. And I, and I think we ended up, I ended up doing a psychosexual evaluation um, mm-hmm. in this case. So um, sex offenders, right, are one of those populations that, you know, where's the scarlet letter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, my experience and background with working with or evaluating sex offenders is from a treatment standpoint and from an evaluative standpoint um, It's tough right because that's one of those areas that a reasonable person, right the average person is just completely averse Correct. to the idea of it they want to put their blinders on they don't want to they don't want to think that this is actually happening out there so so any case that involves it even if it is, uh, an adolescent or a youth who is just making mistakes, right? Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or engaging in poor judgment, and they're not necessarily a, a pedophile. Correct, right, correct. Um, it's, it's still hard for people to wrap their heads around. Mm-hmm. Um, as a forensic psychologist, you, oftentimes you're immersed in these types of topics or content, that at some point, yes, you do become a little desensitized mm-hmm. to it, or you begin to understand it a little bit differently. Sure. Um, so, those therapists that you may have been reaching out to that may have specialized in treating adolescents or teenagers with, you know, behavioral problems or or anything along those lines, it's still going to be very difficult for them to stomach sure. the you know the material or the information or what it is that they need to talk to that person about Um, and from from a very early on experience for me when I first began working with sex offenders from a treatment standpoint they deserve to be treated like humans okay they you know look they're they're human beings um you know yes what what they've done how they've done it are you know it's it's tough it's tough to handle but there's, there's no benefit to not having a, a sense of humanity mm-hmm. with them. Of course. They're not going to be receptive to the therapy. They're not going to benefit from the therapy. The community is not going to benefit from your efforts mm-hmm. or, or any of the efforts. Um, so I don't know if it's a stigma or, or if it's just people being people. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that a mental health professional who wouldn't take a case like that would ch- just be doing it from a place of knowing their own boundaries.
1: Sure,
0: that makes sense. Right. That does make sense.
2: Like, wh- like my boundary. One of my bound. I can, uh, you know, I was easily able to um, to work with sex offenders from a treatment standpoint or an evaluation standpoint. Mm. I can't work with victims. I, I can't work with the kids. Sure. Because I can't leave it at work. Okay. Mm. It's and and ha- how that happens. You know, where I can work with the perpetrator but the victims affect me to the emotionally speaking, to the extent that I find it difficult.
0: Sure. No, that's actually, that's kind of wild to think about because I mean, you know me, Dave, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like that's anything I feel. I feel way too much. (laughs) So like, I mean, the reason I don't really like to take juvenile cases is because the kids hit me harder. Like the younger my clients are, the more emotional I tend to get over the case, which makes me, like, less, you know, making the right mindset. And sometimes when you're emotional and you're doing it, that's where that conflict comes in because you're like, Mm -hmm. I'm fighting a little bit too hard. So, like, I I don't like to take juvenile cases for that reason. And even speaking about, you know, Dave knows just a little while ago, like, Man, I um I went through it and like mentally I think this job takes a lot of things out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. <It> <laughs> so it like yeah. having that boundary as you called it is really important. And this is something that this this podcast is supposed to be to be authentic, to be real. Of course, to let people understand that yes, we are lawyers, but like we go through shit too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, no, no. I, I, I mean... you know I
2: I work with a lot of attorneys, <clears throat> you know, even in, you know, yep. in my psychotherapy practice and it's not necessarily because they need mental health treatment. It's it's more that supportive kind of coaching. Of course. Um, you know, how how to decompress from that, how to um, you know, even kind of deal with some of the vicarious trauma that attorneys experience mm-hmm. working with their cases
1: i mean the hardest part i think as an attorney is just figuring out what you can handle and what you can't at least for your mental health not not your ability right not your legal ability not how good you can write and argue that's none of it right if you're like us if you're trial lawyers honestly if it's a trial we can handle it Mm -hmm. right it's not the legal side that we're too worried about right we can figure that out the trial we got but it's generally speaking we probably don't want to do some of those Right, just based on what's going on and how we know the cases go, and just, you know, I mean, so that's that was the hardest part for us. I think I don't know. We figured out at least where, mentally speaking, we can rock and roll together and not have certain things just always dragging us and you know, like just staying on your memory. Uh, well, but.
2: it's 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 so important to know that about yourselves.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I agree with the desensitizing part though. I mean, we've seen oh, so much, yeah. it, I don't even know how to describe it. Like when we get things described to us anymore, we're, we kind of just look at each other like, yeah, we know. Right. Like we don't even get shocked anymore. Right. Because it's impossible, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say.
2: Yeah, and look, there's always there's always that balance, you know. When when I was working in the field of, of sex offender treatment, uh, you know, as much as the victims moved me, mm-hmm. that's what motivated me to, sure. you know, to do that work with offenders and with perpetrators, uh, even perpetrators of, of child abuse in the dependency system and mm-hmm. parents that, you know, um, needed services uh, because of abuse and neglect. Of course. Um, but having that balance and knowing that, you know, the victims are, you know, what motivate me to do what I do, but I can't do what I do well yeah. without having that balance with the perpetrator and seeing them as a human being.
0: Right. I actually have a question for you. So um, usually during when a child is molested, right, and if it's happening a number of times, usually the way that we find out, and we as a society, I mean, uh, we find out because they will have told somebody. Usually there's always an outcry victim, right? Mm -hmm. You're aware of that. Yes. So, but also... We have mandated reporters. Now, you know, there's mandated reporters can range from different type of jobs. We have thought pretty strategically to make anybody who comes into regular contact with a child, they are mandated reporters. Now, I am running into cases where these mandated reporters just seem to feel as though they get to decide whether or not Not they're going to start reporting stuff. Correct. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And that kind of allows the abuse to continue. If this child is telling the truth, like mm-hmm. we need adults to do what we told you to do. Where do you stand? Like well, if you were a judge and you <laughs> see someone in the story who was a mandated reporter and they say to you, "Well, listen, I didn't believe the child."
2: Mm-hmm. You don't need to believe the child, okay? The, it, you know, I've I've uh, I've provided continuing education courses for mental health and. Um, attorneys, legal professionals, on this very topic mm-hmm. of, of mandated reporting, um, if you read the statute, it doesn't say you need to believe the child. Okay, <laughs> I'm it, sure. <laughs> it also doesn't say you need proof. Yeah. Okay. What it says is that you know there needs to be you know reasonable suspicion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you don't have to be judge. You don't have to be juror, and you're not expected to be the investigator on the case. Um, and there's also For mandated reporters, when we're talking specifically about uh, reporting sexual abuse, I think one of the things that, whether it be attorneys or mental health professionals, they don't realize is that that particular piece of the statute differs substantially from the piece of the statute that talks about physical abuse or other types of abuse Mm -hmm. with children. Okay. With other types of abuse, whether it's physical or psychological, as it's defined statutorily speaking, it needs to be within the past two years. Okay? Mm, Okay. Mm. Okay. Be- because that's it it says recent abuse. Mm-hmm. And statutorily recent is defined as two, two years. Year. Okay. When you read the portion of the statute that indicates sexual abuse, it says any.
1: Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> there, <laughs> right.
2: there is no time frame.
1: Correct. Right. Okay. And they did that on purpose, right? Correct. Because they want you to report every instance, at least my opinion.
2: Undeniably. And yes.
1: Realistically for our viewers. And we, well, you know as well, being involved uh, intimately with the legal system, reasonable suspicion is like the lowest standard on the planet. Correct. Right? So if you want to talk legal standard, it literally, in my opinion, it could be just the fact that someone told you that.
2: Absolutely. And, and it could be the fact that, you know, my hairdresser told me. Correct. Okay. Right. I am a mandated <laughs> yes. reporter. Yes. Correct. Okay, right. Which makes me a mandated <clears throat> reporter across all contexts. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about that. That's actually a great point. Um, I don't think people understand that. They right? don't understand so that. So let's say I'm telling <laughs> you a joke, right? And in the course of this joke, I insinuate that a child is being molested, within that joke, yeah. does that trigger your mandated reporting?
2: It could. So if if it's an identifiable situation, mm-hmm. like if it's an identifiable family or an identifiable child, and you're telling me something, doesn't matter how you're saying it sure. or mm-hmm. you know the, the the manner in which you're intending it to you know to be uh, transmitted. If, it's the fact if it that you raises it. suspicion, yeah. okay, and if that suspicion is reasonable, as a mandated reporter, technically, I am mandated to report. Sure. And if I don't, statutorily speaking, mm-hmm. I can be held criminally responsible for that,
0: do as you, any <laughs> other mandated do reporter. Do you think that, what do you think the punishment should be for someone who doesn't report?
2: No, I don't. I don't remember what the what the actual statute says. I think it's I a, a misdemeanor. I was just well, going to th- ask because I, I th- didn't know how the to it, It's kind of it's uh, stepwise. So I think the first offense is uh, maybe a second de- degree oh. misdemeanor.
0: Oh, I see. And then and so they, and subsequent, subsequent, it gets subsequent, yeah. Right? Because
2: yeah. we have institutions, whether it be educational institutions right. or mm, treatment I, institutions, that are kind you. of like there's frequent offending of not right. reporting. sure. Right. Yep. These kinds of scenarios.
0: Well, my, right, <laughs> that, but that's my <laughs> makes my problem is that I'm seeing it more and more now. Um It certainly has people come up in our recent cases who are just like not reporting mm-hmm. and it makes the case almost like you have no way to know who to believe. Because but here's here's what I really believe is that when it comes to um, trying to find out if a child is telling the truth, right? We are ill equipped, right? Like, you cannot. Very true. I'm, I'm yes. sorry, but let's be honest here. If my life or your lives were on the line, I would not want to base it on the word of a child. Correct. Right, like we would all be crazy looking at each other, like, wait, 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 the world's about to end. Let's ask the seven-year-old. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The reason why I don't like having to be that bad per- to say that, but the truth is, we need to be able to trust the adults. We need to be able to. Tr- the child is going to have told somebody. That's why we're here. Yep. But when those people decide on themselves, take it upon themselves to say, you know what, I'm not. I didn't believe the child. Well, now. If we send this adult to jail just based solely off the child, then I think you should go do some of this time too. Correct, because you are the reason why this is so hard.
2: Right, right, and and again, mandated reporters really need to remember that it's not their responsibility to to know whether or not they mandated reporters are never the onus is never on them to. To try to figure out figure whether out, or not yeah. this actually happened, right? That report is made, and then and then that information gets sent to the agency, who has very well trained and qualified individuals sure. who go and and investigate the case. Um, they they have forensic interviews with with the child or the mm-hmm. children involved or other parties. So you have to let them do their job.
0: Right, sure. of course. Couldn't say it better. Yes, I could not right. say it better myself. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, it, it is tough, though, right? I mean, any again, any reasonable person will know that when this, when these types of reports are made, it's tough, right? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, you know, when when there isn't, you know, viable information, it the family can go through a lot, and it it is a it is a difficult process, and it can really be tough and terrible for individuals to go through that when you know there's there's no there there
0: right (laughs) exactly i would say my my little piece of advice uh, is to try if you have to be that reporter to try and be less emotional about it and be very matter-of-factly about it right like whatever that like you are just a stenographer correct you are transporting information from the child to the next authority and then it is out of your hands right if it's all done correctly lawyers ain't even gonna want to talk they they may want to talk to you once and say hey is this all correct but if it makes sense in the report that you like that will have been generated most of us aren't even going to come bother you because you did what we asked no right it is (laughs) if you hear from an attorney and you're a mandated reporter you messed up
1: correct and we see it a lot in our cases i mean the stigma I would say in the legal fields, probably, I know lawyers that won't take cases like this. You and I both know lawyers yeah. that take sex offense cases. So I think it's pervasive in all of our industry because whatever reason, and again, I don't, like, we take them, but I hate the fact that we also can get painted as, you know, like bad guys, right? Right. But just like you said, we're doing a job, and honestly, I don't care what you've done, you're entitled to a lawyer and to make sure your rights are protected, That's at the end of the day. That's our job. Our job is not to tear apart the victim, say the victim's lying, but what we see more often is it's generally a whole group of adults who have failed this child, and then they allow us to ask questions, and then people think we're the bad people. right? Like, we're the bad guys because we're protecting a pedophile. And it's like, You know, you didn't talk to this child's parents like we're talking to the police and you're going off the word of a 10 year old. Right. And you have evidence that she may have spoken to, you know, her aunt. Did you interview her? Well, no, because we have the word of the 10, you know, the 12 year old. Okay, But again, now you're allowing us to ask questions. What did she tell her aunt? Right. Because we're trying to explain to a client like you may not have a defense. Right. At all, because look at all this evidence. Right. We go to mandated reporters who were apparently told in the school they reported nothing. So then we have to ask a question. Did they did they actually tell the person in the school or is right. this made up? Right. And right. then we look, then we're bad. You know, we're the bad people. And like we didn't do it. We didn't leave the holes there. Right. We didn't make you do this in your case. And that's what I always have to tell people. Cause Yeah. I mean,
2: <laughs> you know, you you know, kind of doing an autopsy of the, you know, the the trajectory of any of these cases moving forward, you see failures, you know, at at many different junctures.
0: Mm-hmm. So on that note uh we're back and i want to swing actually cuz a lot of your cases aren't uh sex cases that is a small small subset of what you do you actually help in a lot of custody cases and again this this podcast is supposed to be about giving away information right <laughs> so so that people can know how to maneuver through the system can you talk about uh your experiences with um the custody aspect with the civil aspect any advice that you could give to parents kind of right the things that you've seen anything you want to tell the tell them about your expertise in that area
2: sure i mean we can we can talk for weeks about that <laughs> <laughs> so i i've done quite a bit of work in the, in the criminal you know space whether it be you know for particular offenses you know insanity evaluations competency evaluations sure. you know mitigating circumstances um Family law, civil law, uh, discrimination cases, sexual harassment cases, mm-hmm. federal cases, family law cases, uh, I, do, uh, I, I do quite a bit of work in the space of family law. I am a child custody evaluator. I do psychological evaluations for mm-hmm. custody-related cases, and I do a lot of consulting work in, in all of those spheres as well, but uh, particularly in the family law case uh, aspect.
0: Um, so, it's so let me ask you because oh, I don't,
1: I, I just want to, I always like to clarify a couple things. Um, our viewers might not know, I know we know, but can you kind of just give a brief rundown of what a, uh, like the custody portion, right? When you're an evaluator, what does that mean, right? What are you doing, at least for the, the parents and the family?
2: Mm-hmm. So as a custody evaluator, I am evaluating the entire family system,
1: mm-hmm.
2: evaluating the, the, the child or the children involved, and my role is to provide information to. To the courts so that they can make a decision regarding physical and legal custody of minor children that's in the best interest of those children. Okay. And within those custody evaluations, I'm doing psychological evaluations of both parents or okay. other even other parties that might be involved, a step parent, you know, could could be evaluated as part of that. I'm doing home visits, I'm talking to other providers, if somebody's been in therapy, the mm-hmm. marriage counselor previously, uh, their neighbor, their friends, their cousins, mm-hmm. things along those lines. Sure. So okay.
0: is this court ordered or are the individuals hiring you?
2: So these are court ordered. Generally speaking, one, how it, how it works up here is one or the other party will um, motion to have uh, a child custody evaluation performed. And... Generally speaking, up here, the parties will agree on a particular evaluator to use, to, mm-hmm. to, to do that evaluation. Other okay. areas that I've worked, the court themselves appoint that expert.
0: Okay. Okay. How long do these evaluations usually take?
2: Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, I could have con- confidently said, you know, three months on average. Mm-hmm. Um, these days... <clears throat> That's not necessarily the case these these days. the The complexity of the cases are becoming um, a, a significant factor in how long they take. Sure. Um, complexities could include, uh, you know, some general things like how many kids are we talking about? Are we mm. talking about the Brady bunch or a single child? Sure, right? sure. How many step parents are involved? Um, these days, it's it, it's also, you know the the degree to which one party or the other or both parties are asserting claims that the other person has mental health issues or there's abuse issues or you know what you're uh, i don't think i have a case i don't think i've ever had a case in years that didn't levy allegations of parental alienation which is a whole other topic mm-hmm. that yeah, we could yeah, spend absolutely. a long time right. on. absolutely <laughs> yes and um these cases are becoming more complex even throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Because of, of certain
0: factors. So let me ask you this. There's in our brief experience with uh, you know, custody, because we got in and got out. It was it, listen, I got in and got right out. Right? I was like, oh no, no, I'm going back to criminal world. <laughs> These parents is out of control. Yes. <laughs> like there are times where the parents are just not willing to work with each other, right? And they swear that it's the other one. It's always the other party. And they're asking for this evaluation. Sometimes you can kind of tell, like, guys, you don't need this evaluation. You don't want this evaluator coming in. Can you talk about sometimes, because I know you were telling us before, um, how you kind of are very honest with them about what your evaluation style is going to be like so that if they're kind of like, can you just talk about that process to them? Because I think that is very important for them to hear. Some of y'all need to uh, get out your feelings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, I, I, I truly believe that a lot of parents and look, I, I think I want to I want to preface everything with with saying that there's no greater stakes. Right when of we're course, talking right. about our children, of course, right? our children in general. But when you're talking about your own children, absolutely, there's no greater stakes. Correct. So, so we have we have to we have to approach it from a from at least some place of, of empathy and understanding that these parents are are dealing with scenarios that have um it's it's a very emotionally charged situation. Sure. And um, but I oftentimes th- think parents don't understand or parties to to Mm -hmm. custody litigation, don't understand exactly what they're signing up for Mm -hmm. when it comes to this. Exactly, And it's an incredibly intrusive process. It's a lengthy process. It's a costly process and it's anxiety provoking for everybody. It's including the children. Correct. Mm -hmm. Even the, even, even the best of, you know, uh, litigants who are going through a custody evaluation, who are attempting to shield their children from the process Sure, you can't shield them completely okay they have a stranger coming in looking you know and they're giving me tours of their room and i'm looking to see whether or not mom's house has pictures of dad in the bedrooms uh, of the kids and mm-hmm. and vice versa you know they right they're not dumb right, right? sure it's aren't Kids aren't stupid not at all okay they
1: are not and, and I I tell my clients that a lot just you you know your children are not stupid <laughs> right they are right. paying it's attention it's right. important
2: right and look there's there's plenty of cases that a custody evaluation is absolutely warranted sure okay and 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 we can talk about those yeah circumstances. can you can you tell us
0: what does that look like how what is it you know what are a uh, situation where you would say you know what if you're in this situation I would suggest an evaluation mm-hmm
2: yeah, some of those situations have to do with whether or not there's a parent who has a substance abuse issue, a mental health issue, um, or the the co-parenting dynamic is is so toxic, True. right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, or so broken, right? Or or lopsided um, that these 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 types of evaluations are warranted. Or there might be circumstances where. There's, and I'll use, you know, the term parental alienation or what we prefer to use, a a gatekeeping situation, Mm -hmm. right? There's restrictive gatekeeping, Mm -hmm. facilitative gatekeeping, and protective gatekeeping. Um, Whether or not there's been past incidences of domestic violence. And, you know, so there there are some circumstances. I I think some circumstances where these cases are referred... I do try to be as honest as possible with the parties. Mm-hmm. And I might even, you know have conversations with them and saying, this is what this is gonna look like. This is what this is gonna feel like. Um, I send them information prior to even engaging, you know, sending out those engagement letters, sure. really being very transparent with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I you know I enjoy my job and and I like having cases referred to me. But if parents can work it out, Mm -hmm. if they can go back to their, to their, to their attorneys and say, "This seems like a lot," I like a (laughs) lot. You know, then I'm glad to hear that.
1: Yep. And I mean, coming from personal experience, I would I've I've used services for uh, custody evaluations, and it tends to always be when it's a toxic relationship, where it's just completely impossible for anything to ever get done the parties don't get along and it's never about the children and they're on at that point i'm i have nothing i can do legally mm-hmm. right i can tell that this needs and even if we go to court it's going to be pointless and then i end up in a place where i don't know how to advise my clients because we're not even in the legal world anymore mm-hmm. so and it is absolutely beneficial It it's one of the most helpful things right and but i can also see the flip side i've i've never had a case where i was like we're not going to do custody cuz i've actually recommended them in all my cases. Mm-hmm. I was like this is where we need to go, but i can see where it can end up there where they truly didn't need that and it was kind of, you know, put your right. Let's let's be a little grown up here, be mature. You don't need a custody evaluation. You right. have to understand your parents mm-hmm. with children and you have to at least get along for the sake of your children. We're not asking much.
2: Absolutely. Right. But but i think i think the system itself makes it very difficult. Okay. So you know, you you hear <laughs> judges or masters all the time, you know, telling these parents and kind of lecturing them that they have to, mm. they, they got to co-parent, they got to co- go co-parent, but yet they're thrust into this adversarial process. Correct. Our system is adversarial by nature. Okay. Yep. What and I and again, I do a lot of psycholegal consulting in in this family law space as well. And what what I really like to do is offer a collaborative consulting space for the attorneys to Mm -hmm. consult with me prior to that time. Or even after I do an evaluation, I offer both counsel of record the opportunity to meet with me, Mm -hmm. a joint consultation session, so that we could talk about the results. Sure. Right. In hopes that, you know, future litigation isn't necessary where yep. they can, and that's the point. Exactly, that's the
1: whole point. exactly.
0: That's the whole point. <laughs> right. Like it's it's so crazy that like we had to jump out of the custody world because truthfully it should be so easy. easy. It's yeah. so simple, and that's right? what I. But it is not it because that. of the emotional piece that gets dragged with it. Now yeah. I understand the emotional piece. It is not that it is lost upon me, right? I understand yeah. that because I have the world's craziest, most overprotective mother. I promise you all (laughs) there is no bigger helicopter mom on the planet than Carmella green. However, (laughs) like when it comes to custody, the thing that I always try and tell my clients is that, listen, before you go run to the court, understand what you are saying. What you are legally saying is that I can't handle this anymore. I need your help, correct. And we once once you come in, correct. right? You
2: know, we can't make decisions, right? I can't so do it on my leaving own. leaving it to and 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 I hear this time and time <clears> again <throat> from parents going through custody evaluations mm. of, you know, I should be allowed to make my own decisions come regarding my children. Correct. Well, that's correct, but you have another person who feels that same way. Absolutely, exactly. and if the two of you can't find common ground, then you're going to have a third party. Tell you who what doesn't know do. much about you, exactly, exactly, to make decisions the decision for
0: you. And ain't neither one of y'all gonna like these decisions. Because, like, Generally it's, it's gonna be yeah. something that we're trying, in my opinion, the court is not really designed to fix this problem. It is two parents mm-hmm. who can't work together for whatever reason. Right. Regardless of fault, that has to be fixed. If they come to us and say, hey, I can't do this, yep. how do we even see our custody? Like, how? how is that my problem to fix? I don't know when you should see <laughs> your son, yep.
1: but always, now
0: you're going to be mad at me because I gave mom Wednesday at three. I don't care. I exactly. really, You know what? I'll go back mm-hmm. to the criminals where they ask five to 10. Yeah. Like it, no, it just I, makes no sense to me. Having
1: done a lot of custody. I mean, I always approach it. There's cases that have to go to court and there's just no way around it. Right. That it, those are the cases with abuse, substance yes. abuse, criminal charges, And the other party generally is just never going to agree that these problems are a problem for the child, right? It's unfortunate, but they don't care, right? And they'll take it to court. Those we have to take to court because we can't leave the child at risk, right? And they're not going to agree. And one parent's not actively being a parent. So we have to make sure we protect the child. But then that's that's only, I don't even know how many cases I've had like that. A handful? I can count them out of hundreds Mm -hmm. of cases where one parent truly is just in the wrong, Right. right? The rest are parents that truly just can't get along and then I, you know, they look at me oddly when I tell them the best thing, the best thing for both of you is to work this out a stipulation that avoids court, that avoids a judge telling you when you can spend holidays with your children, birthdays, your birthday, Father's Day, Mother's Day, what you can do for vacation, how much notice you have to provide. Because if we go down that path, you're stuck with that. If we can work together and you kind of just have a fluid relationship, we can write any agreement we want in this world. It can be as open as we want. It could be as specific as we want. But you get to decide. That's right. And it's you get all the power. I'm offering Mm -hmm. you all the power over your children. And somehow we get to a point where you want someone else to tell you how to spend time with your children. Okay. I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I have a job to do. And that's, you know, that's why I'm slowly working my way out because I just it's hard that I can't get through these clients. Right. And honestly, it's not. It, that's not my job. They right? don't they don't
2: recognize that it's that it's a path towards relinquishing yeah. a lot of, you know, your your I'll say your rights as a parent, yeah. you know, to to some degree. And you know, and society has changed too. So I think that's, you know, back in the day we had the nurturing doctrine, right? Yes, Where, yep, yep, yep. you know, you, the parents get divorced and, you know, dad has Wednesday dinners and Correct, yeah. every other weekend, yeah, if yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, the
1: dad schedule, as everybody calls it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Dad yep, schedule, yep, right. Yep. Um,
2: our, you know, our society has changed and, and you know, that needs to be recognized as well. You know, fathers are are Considered that, equal.
1: I, and yeah. that's, believe it right. or not, though, that's been one of the hardest things for me to kind of overcome, overcome with clients. Yeah. Just explain, especially, and, I, and I'll, the viewers, I need to know this because I'm sick of telling everyone. Montgomery County is notorious 50 50. And listen, it's almost like 100% of the time, unless there's severe issues going on, because I don't know what it is, but they want both parents to always generally, if they want it, they're going to get 50 50.
2: Well, and, and and that's what that's and I'm what, not against it. That's what the statute says all, all right. things being equal.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. And, but then, you know, telling clients, like, listen, doing all of this, Going to the master's hearing where you're not going to agree, and then it gets sent to a trial, which the judge never wants to hear because you're both suitable parents. You just don't like each other. Is completely worthless. And then it turns into, well, you don't want to fight for me, and you don't, you know, and it just it ruins our relationship. Just mm-hmm. knowing the court and knowing the law, and I'm like, my job's to advise you on the law. It's not to take into account you love your child as much as you do. I understand. Yeah. But dad's going to get fifty percent custody, and I'm Correct. there's nothing I can say that can change that. Right.
0: And I want to, I want to say, I want to make it clear though that like uh, when we talk about like custody, the reason why when we feel, and I'm talking for you a little bit here, but so correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) but like when we start arguing with our client and it starts to affect us personally, exactly, that's when we start getting out. And the reason why I feel like we continuously hate the idea of custody is because we don't feel effective at our jobs. We spend so much time. Fighting the, the clients. And sometimes it, it's it's an understanding. Like, I get where you're coming from. It's just what you want isn't feasible. It, yeah, it can't
1: ever happen. Right. And, like,
0: I can't, you know, you don't. And when people understand, and I think our clients understand that, like, we're the only people they can actually yell at. Mm -hmm. Can't yell at the judge like that. Right. You can't yell at the evaluator like that. Right. You can't even yell at your kid like that, because they'll come back and tell the the only person you can actually let the steam off to is the lawyer, which is just frustration. And I get it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like Well, and
2: yes, absolutely. And these are circumstances where your clients in these in these scenarios are feeling very powerless. Correct. Mm -hmm. Again, with with an issue where the stakes are no higher. Yeah. Right. Okay? Correct. None higher. I, I tell people all the time, I have always considered the most dangerous thing that I've ever, you know, done as far as professionally, you know, as far as the space that I worked in, mm-hmm. wasn't with sex offenders. It wasn't going into the jails and prisons and sitting in a small room with, you know, a, a, sure. an offender, right? right <laughs> a perpetrator yeah. who's Correct. not handcuffed or. Sure. No. What it was was when I did work with the dependency system. Mm-hmm. When 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 the court moves to termination of parental,
1: parental rights. rights. Yeah. yeah. When yeah. they
2: are literally taking their child from you, yeah. saying you are no longer that, that this child's father, mother, yeah. and we are going to put this child up for adoption. Yeah. Okay. And I might have been the person who did the evaluation to figure out whether or not that parent was amenable to future services and mm. the level of risk that they posed. Sure. And they see me as largely responsible right. for, for that judge's right. decision.
1: Yeah, I understand.
2: That was my most dangerous role ever.
1: No, I, that makes sense. It's crossed my mind. I mean, we had it here in Chester County. I think I, mean, I don't know if you remember, but it was a family law case, and it was divorced, and then the guy ended up like shooting his parents. He tried to shoot his lawyer. Yes. He tried. He tried to shoot opposing counsel, his wife, and that's when I, you know, I had the same thought. I was like, I've been in tiny rooms. With like no handcuff, some of what people would consider the worst criminals on the planet forever. Right. And I I I've I've been more scared, I think, in some of these family law proceedings. I'm like, they don't all reason and logic are off the table. And if they turn their anger towards me, I, I have to just remove myself. Like it's I, not my fault. I have yeah. been
0: I have been threatened more yeah, yeah, absolutely. in family court no, than yeah. in criminal court. I've almost never been yeah, I've almost <laughs> never been threatened in criminal court personally. Correct. But I have been consistently threatened. I'll never forget that. I was sitting in Love Park yeah. and he called me and he
1: goes, I need you to meet me by the door. And I was like, why? And he's like, trust me. And, and, and then all of a sudden, yeah. you're, I see the cops.
0: <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. Because it is like going through it. Every morning I have to go into custody court. I like prepare myself for anything can happen mm-hmm. because we don't watch them as closely as we watch you know, the quote-unquote criminals, yep. mm-hmm. right? The people who come into the criminal justice center <clears throat> or any, that's Philadelphia, but any county, right? You're going through metal detectors. You're going, like, we are watching you Check. closely, everywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. right? But the parents, if you just go into custody court... Yeah. Where you're right, the stakes are most people would probably say even higher than the criminal side. Right, undeniable. If you no. ask the parents, there, there I is, don't
2: agree with. There that. is <laughs> there is no there is very few. I won't <clears throat> say no, but there's very few parents that if you gave them the choice of going to prison for five years or losing their child,
1: they would take prison.
0: Yes, I, I ten agree. times over. I agree with you a million percent. I mm-hmm. agree. Now, I agree. That's what they would say. Yeah, now, i there. agree put they, me they put, spend them, a week there. put them give me give most of them about a weekend a week and a half well, what was the judge be like, us, listen where's that kid at <laughs> bill do you, Billy. Do, you, do you remember
1: what judge sawyer was telling us there's a certain amount of time that she knows that offenders um they still have and I, she has the term for it but you don't lose your sense of longing for home Right. And she remember she told oh, us she, she kind of yeah. knows the exact time. Yeah. It's like it's like
0: seven days or yeah, something it's like she said I,
1: seven. I'm, we did a podcast with her. If yes. Go back and watch in, it because it's very she, good. She,
0: talk, she talks about this. But
1: that's that's kind of her goal. Right. Mm-hmm. So she does this whole if you should watch it as well. If just because you're involved with the criminal justice system, what she's doing is wonderful. Her whole sentencing program that she's trying to create. It's more about using resources instead of jail right no matter what, a what it, exactly no matter what it is right do they need right. mental health etc i won't go into it watch the episode but she told us one of her plans when people don't listen to her like you were supposed to get a job you're supposed to go see dr Sheen. you didn't listen mm-hmm. first time all right go do it again all right second time listen i'm not going to tell you again third time she's like i put them in just long enough where they still miss their bed they still miss you know their mother's voice right being able to eat being able to go outside yeah she's like and i forget she calls, It's like nine days or it's like seven either way she's like i bring him in like the day before mm-hmm. and i'm just like listen do you do you now want to go at least talk to the job recruiter or
0: right
1: and she said almost 100 percent of the time they're like absolutely please so and that's why we, i was kind of joking that's, like, yeah
2: it's genius figuring like, out that's where, what I mean. where where it is that that you know shift it, where
1: it shifts, right. yeah. she said yeah. at a point it shifts and you become yeah. part of the prison culture now. Yeah, and she tries to stop that from happening, but just short enough. So doesn't, you're like, she
2: doesn't want them to integrate. Correct. Right.
0: right. Uh, she yeah. She's a shout out to Judge Sawyer. But she that is made definitely me think of, it, one of my parent, favorites. Yeah.
1: Give them about whatever that time is. Give them about four mm-hmm. days. Right. They're gonna want to be home with their children. Yeah. Just trust yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: uh, you know, there's there are resources. You know, there, <clears throat> there's other ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, there's and and there's ways to be cre- more creative that I think a lot of people just don't. I mean. Litigants don't know it because they Correct. don't know anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no,
1: right. no, you're right. They, right. Well, that's why they come to us or right.
0: they come to you because they right. truly have no idea. Right. right.
2: So, um, again, that that's why I really do try to focus on collaborative consultation Correct. with counsel of record in these cases to be able to give different options. Yeah. Right. I'll have attorneys, you know, call me on a joint call and say, "Hey, Dr. Chan, we have this kind of case." What can what can we do instead of like a full scale comprehensive custody evaluation? Sure. And I'll say, okay, well, it sounds like maybe a more limited scope evaluation that assesses this, this, or this Mm -hmm. or just one thing Mm -hmm. might be a good place to start. Sure. Okay. And you know, it d- it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Correct. Okay. And and there are other ways of of doing
1: things. And I mean, the one thing I'll say, because, uh, you know, I'm all about honesty, The the system itself, I agree with you, is it never set up, in my opinion, to appropriately handle custody. And I think that's why I don't enjoy it, because I've always approached this as this should never be this anachronistic kind of knockdown battle over your children unless it's required. <coughs> I have tried to pursue different options. And I always run into many barriers, which I understand some I can't change. Right. Mm-hmm. Financial. My clients can't afford it. Right. I understand. Right. But generally, you know, we can usually work around that, figure something out. But then it becomes, you know, opposing counsel's not up for it because they need to get paid. Mm-hmm. Right. Because our industry tends to be like, hey, if the lawyers get to go to court, that means I get paid. Right. If I'm always trying to avoid court, which I am, unfortunately, I don't care. It was never about the money. Right. It was about, listen, we're doing that was, that, that
0: was another reason we had to get out
1: because <laughs> like, we wasn't making no money because we you, kept doing stuff for free. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we because we would get so emotionally involved in it or just like, listen, I don't want to keep taking your money because you're fighting over your kid. Like this right. is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it and that's why I guess my approach, it, it doesn't work in the system either. Right. Like you can't right. always be like, listen, let's make this in a minimal process. And no, because there's always something in the way. Correct. Just, there has to be something. It, it, it is, is. It is
0: actually infuriating, guys. If you hire an attorney and you are looking for a bulldog, a fighter, that is not what you want. Okay, yeah, this is custody. not television. If you come to me as an attorney with your chest poked out, arguing about some kid, where do you think you're gonna get? Yeah, like you're not gonna get anywhere. I'm not gonna listen. I'm not gonna be receptive. That is not how conversations work. If you hire a lawyer who is an a hole, you're probably going to get a terrible result. Yeah, because it's not the you point want of an attorney who is honest with you. You shouldn't well, and, always and, be and, and, happy. And even
2: if you get the result that you ultimately want, you're likely going to drag yourself, your children through through it. Um, through it and you know what? They they don't come out on the other end unscathed. unscathed. They Correct. don't. Okay. What what the research? What we know about? The adjustment of children in custody scenarios has everything to do with how their parents are able to collaborate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and co-parent with one another. So you know there there is the whole collaborative law piece of it, which I think a lot of people don't know exactly exists. Okay, but there is also this thing called yes, you can have your own attorney, and the other person can have their own attorney, and guess what? They can collaborate. Correct, I mean, right, what a correct. wonderful modeling <clears throat> right. scenario, right? Where where Council of Record can actually model for yes. those parties how to speak to one another. Correct.
1: How Which to yeah, You would think so. You and would that's think. The odd thing is right. that's how I've approached a lot of my cases, right? When I see communication breakdown, I try to at least give them my advice. Like, listen, why don't you try to at least send a message that's like, listen, just just drop all of the, the defense at this point like all i'm looking for is to work together and and believe it or not it's backfired almost every time though so like this is not why easy. like right. when i tell my my client who listen i have great relationships with my family a lot of clients he knows i'll talk to him forever just because of how i treat them and i want them to feel comfortable they'll listen to me
0: mm-hmm.
1: almost 100 of the time and then i get the call right or i get the email i did exactly what you said and then the response is you're a liar shut up i hate you right and then I look, and then what am I going to tell her, or him, or what? Word. Like, okay, and thanks, Dave, for the advice, but we're never going to do that again. So let's go to court, and let's—I want full custody now. And I'm like, great, it backfired. I, all I tried doing was have you be nice, and I figured this will be reasonable.
2: Right, and, and look, it's—it's it's a systemic issue.
0: It right? is because we're, we're is.
2: trying to fit a, a, a round peg in a square hole, and it mm-hmm. doesn't go right. What what other area of law do we really almost demand that? Opposing parties get along,
0: yeah, right, yeah,
1: and
2: right. and collaborate with one another after the case. Exactly and right,
0: and it, and it doesn't make any sense because like the whole point of it is to be adver- Like that's the whole point is that our we're not working, working together. Right. But in this scenario, you're right. We force you to work together. Right. And the truth of the matter is that not everybody can work together. Like no, there not there at all. are some people, unfortunately, who refuse to co-parent. And I don't want to make this sound like, uh, you know, if you are struggling to or in any situation to not come to the court, if you need help, you know, the court is here. I am suggesting that before you run to, you know, for help, right, take steps, maybe see somebody like a Dr. Sheehan, you know, hey, somebody who's familiar with the court process, what you're going kind of walk you through those steps before you start spending thousands of dollars with a lawyer to tell you the same thing like that's it just makes sense guys like you need to make sure that you're taking the right steps talking to the right people and asking the right questions but you can't ask the right questions if you don't have the information
1: and i think that's part of we the narrative just needs to be changed right anybody who approaches custody always thinks like yeah so and i always hear it from my clients we have a divorce but we also have kids that's going to be impossible I'm like, you own 10 businesses and a hundred million dollars. That's gonna be impossible. That's hard. <laughs> right. Your kids, what's going on like with your husband or wife? Well, nothing. But I I want I want them. She can't have like we need to change the narrative. Like it's not right. it, You don't get what you want, right? And you only get what you want when there's problems and the children mm-hmm. are at risk. Right. But no and then Knowing that, at least, if, when you came to an attorney and knowing what to expect, I think would change the whole system, at least. Like, you're not going into this to fight unless you need to. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a need to actually go to court and fight over this. If there's not, it's and these aren't little things, you'll know. You're not going to be surprised, like, oh, that's a risk. No, sex offenders, abuse, like, you're never going to be surprised. You're going to come to me and say all the key words. My husband or wife drinks and hits the children. Okay. Like, you know, we're never surprised when we need to go to court and change. Them. I was going to say, it's probably
0: going, you're probably going to co-mingle, right? Like when that happens, there's usually a co-mingling of custody and criminal. Yeah.
1: Like, there's right? a like lot they kind on. of swing
0: into each other. That's usually when you know, okay, there is an issue. And
1: I always like to point it out right. because a majority of the cases that I get <clears throat> are people that literally call me and they're like, yeah, we've already worked out custody. And I wish that's how it could. Be. It doesn't right. make me sad that I don't get paid for that. Right. If they have a divorce and they're like, custody's good. Listen, the divorce. Let's do the divorce then. That's great. Right. The cust great. That's how it should be. Focus on your kids first. The property and everything we'll take care of later. Right. It's not it's not hard and a majority of my clients are already in that place which is great, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a very small few who need the court and then you have a handful that just want to fight consistently no matter what is done. Those are the cases that I've backed away from. I won't take them. Right. For every reason. Well, they're
2: they're they're very difficult cases to manage. Yeah. You know, you, th- mm. those are the cases that there's, you know, 600 entries on the docket. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You know, how many contempts of court. Emergencies. Appeals. Right. Yeah. So yes. um, and, and pro se litigants are Ugh. another uh, really interesting phenomenon that's happening more and more with, yes. you know, I think individuals believe that they can represent themselves because there's you know, ample information, access to... Because they have seen
0: law and order.
1: Yeah. Correct. They have Google. uh
2: uh-huh. Right. right. <laughs> and they have that. And chat GPT that. now, so they right.
1: can make their own argument.
2: So, um, <laughs> oh, no. you know, anytime I get an evaluation with a, a pro se litigant, you know, my my first statement to them is, you know, look, okay, you're pro se. It's not something I advise, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even, even as an evaluator, I right. have to... I have to approach things differently with a case that has a pro se um, party. Sure, yeah. Than I would other ones. They they need more time to <clears throat> for me to explain to them, and then for me to qualify that explanation by saying, "I'm not an attorney. Yep, yep, yep. right. <laughs> yeah. and I can't give you legal advice. And then they'll ask me legal legal advice about the process, and I'm like, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Um, Correct. You know they, they don't necessarily understand that when I'm doing an, a a custody evaluation I can't have ex parte conversation with, with the lawyer either yeah. counsel <laughs> yeah. of record and guess what if you're pro se
1: you're both that's yeah. you right, right. and, and
2: yeah. then and then there's all kinds of weird lines that get blurred right
1: I didn't think about that yeah, moral
0: can of can that story guys on. you should never go pro se if you can help it Correct. ever it is not a good idea there is a reason why we do what we do find someone who does this on a regular basis. And my my opinion is, like, honestly, you should, a lawyer is something that you have to trust your attorney, right? Whatever, like, Always. so Absolutely. if you don't know an attorney, ask somebody that asks somebody to know, like, somewhere around there, right? Google should be the last step. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> like, is Google's just going to spit out, you know, whoever, yeah, paid, whoever the paid the to most to be, be up at the top that day? But word of mouth, somebody will know a lawyer, and hopefully, you know, they'll get around. Maybe y'all watching this podcast, so y'all know where to go. Nope. And on that note, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, we're at about an hour. We will have Dr. Sheehan back. Of course. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We have a lot it. of things coming up in the in the works, guys, so you know what to do. Stay like, tuned. comment, share, subscribe. Until next time. Please who you call? Come get your Fight, 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 fight. Fight for justice. Fight, 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 fight. Fight, fight. Fight for justice. Fight. we fight? Want to know our law? You know who to call.
2: We keep on fighting.